Coming up on the Elite Sports Podcast, are the Chiefs in danger of losing their spot atop the AFC West after a loss to the Raiders? We're going to be talking to our good friend, Fox Sports' Tim Brando, about all things college football, the SEC, Mizzou's big win over LSU, and much more. And we'll go around the NFL and talk about all the big happenings right here coming up on the Elite. Noah, let's face it, if you go anywhere these days, you need a mask. That's right, Clint. If you go to the bank or the gym or even the store, you're going to be required to wear one for the foreseeable future. If you're going to be rocking a mask, why not do it in style while celebrating the Chiefs Super Bowl victory in the process? Absolutely. Visit our friends at Noble Apparel to check out all their selections of masks that come in all styles from Frozen to Spider-Man and, of course, our defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Noble Apparel is KC born and bred, and their merchandise is by Chiefs fans for Chiefs fans. Visit NobleApparelKC.com or check them out on Facebook today at Noble Apparel 816. This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Gentlemen, you are the top 1%. The elite. Best. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast, brought to you by Vermeil Wines and powered by GASN Sports, the pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk, featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Noah Groniger and Clint Schweitzer. And it is the Elite Sports Podcast, Clint Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger. It is great to be here, and as always... It is wonderful to be talking sports. It's great to be talking football, NFL and college football. There's no better place than right here on the Elite because we're going to be speaking with Fox Sports broadcaster Tim Brando, our good friend Tim Brando. And Noah, we can officially say that since we have now hung out at Chateau Brando down in Louisiana. Uh, We have made the trip down there this summer and got to hang out with Tim poolside, had a great conversation, just one of our favorites. And he's going to be joining us to talk about all things college football. You don't want to miss that in our second segment uh, because, you know, Tim's, Tim's a friend now. And I think that it's time, Noah, since we brought Tim some of his favorite Callaway golf balls that we, that we finally challenged him to uh, a round next time we go down there. I think it's happening. That's going to be tough for me. I don't think I've ever played golf before. So uh, I'm going to have to bone up here before we start making plans to get down there and uh, play around with them because I can't be out there shanking balls into lakes and just sand traps and into the woods and an alligator coming after me in the pond or the the lake out <laughs> there. I can't be having that. So I'm going to have to bone up for sure. Well, don't worry. We've got uh, some time to get you better at golf. Would it basically be like that time in a full house when Uncle Jesse tries to play golf to impress some like important clients? That's always like the television sitcom cliche is there's like a, an important golf game and someone doesn't know how to play and it always goes horribly awry. They embarrass themselves. Is that like what we're on the what's on the horizon here for you? Yeah, it's either going to be that or uh, AC Slater and uh, the Palm Springs episode where he says four and then the golf cl- he swings the golf club and uh, loses grip of it and it goes flying behind him. So uh, it's, there's going to be some sort of sitcom comedy to this. I probably need to bring my own theme music and just some sounds that I can play uh, that are going to help me through this because I can't just be out there and having Tim uh, ridicule me for my horrendous golf play because it's going to be horrendous. Well, we're going to be talking college football later on in the podcast, but we're going to start with the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs. The loss heard around the world as the Chiefs lose for only the 20th time in 30 years to the Raiders on Sunday. The Raiders pretty much outplayed the Chiefs, definitely outphysicaled them at both lines of scrimmage uh, in the victory for the Raiders. A huge win for them, for Jonathan Gruden, who is you know, really trying to build this team. It's a young team, and they're starting to believe. They're 3-2 and two now. There's still a game behind the Chiefs. But man, the Chiefs just did not look like they wanted to be out there for a lot of this game. Of course, the offense starts rolling uh, in the first half. But when you have two touchdowns taken off the board due to penalties, uh, it puts you in a tough spot. And the Chiefs have had that early in the year. It hasn't come back to bite them. But really, all the little things that have plagued the Chiefs this season all culminated in this loss. What is your takeaways now that we have had a couple days to decompress from this? Uh, of course, the initial reaction is the sky is falling. The Chiefs never lose to the Raiders, and it's happened. They're 4-1. and one. 
what do we make of this? Is this uh, an indication of some bigger picture problems? Or is this more of a one-off and uh, the Chiefs are going to keep rolling and you know get to that 13-3 and mark and be viable for the one seed in the AFC still? Well, this seems to have been a problem that is a long time coming. This entire season, they haven't really had it all clicking. I know they played well against the Ravens. The Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, was blitzing out of his mind. And Mahomes had open holes everywhere, but the Chargers made us look inept on offense. And then... Uh, Bill Belichick, we thought, oh, it was just his genius that came up with the scheme. It looked like the Raiders kind of copied what Belichick did, rush four, drop seven, and we just couldn't really get anything going. Yeah, the offense did well in the first half there for a little bit other than the penalties, and uh, we didn't get the pass interference on Jonathan Abram against Tyreek Hill, and we just kind of shot ourselves in the foot there a couple times. And then in the second half, we have 22 yards of total offense. It's completely inexcusable until garbage time where we got started getting some yards and scored a late touchdown to make it look a little more respectable. But this was a complete and utter just team loss, total team loss, horrible offensive play calling, horrendous defensive game plan. We had Sorensen lined up on Darren Waller one-on-one when uh, the Raiders lost to the Patriots. Bill Belichick bracketed Waller. Took him out of the game. He only had two catches against the Patriots. He's killing us. He's wide open. Traverius Ward had a horrible game. Looked like he was pulled later on in the second half because he just kept giving touchdown after touchdown up to Ruggs, a deep play, and to Waller. Looks like he just gave him a free release for an easy touchdown for the Raiders in the in the red zone there. So this Mahomes looked lost. He was skipping balls. The offensive line was bad, so that was part of his a uh, problem in uh, trying to complete a pass. He was running for his life back there. We hear that a lot. It was the line, but just Mahomes was off. The receivers, the offensive line, the defense, the coaches, a total team loss all around. Guys, we have so much still to come here on the Elite Sports Podcast, but we want to take this time to tell you about our new sponsor, 500 Level. 500 Level is the ultimate sports apparel and fan gear store, and they feature ultra-comfortable custom T-shirts for NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and even WWE, I just got a Macho Man Randy Savage shirt from 500 Level that has been a conversation starter everywhere I go. 500 Level was created because they decided it was time to create an apparel company that put the fans right in the mix instead of having to outfit themselves with the same old gear from major corporations. 500level.com works with exceptionally talented artists, designers, and diehard sports fans to create unique t-shirt designs for fans to wear with pride. I mean, here in Kansas City, it's time to defend that Lombardi trophy. So stock up in 500 Level's unbelievable inventory of never-before-seen designs for players like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, or even rookie Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You literally can't find that anywhere else. Use promo code KansasCity20 today for 20% off your order at 500level.com. That's promo code KansasCity20 for 20% off only at 500level.com. Well, as we look around now, we thought, you know, certainly after the Ravens game, it's like, you know, the Chiefs really had established themselves. And we looked around the AFC and we thought, who can compete with this team? Well, the Ravens, we thought were one of them. And the Chiefs match up really well with the Ravens. They knock them off on Monday Night Football. Now the Chiefs play the Bills, a team that may be for real uh, with Josh Allen. This is a type of game where people tend to write the Chiefs off after a, you know, a lowly performance and then they come out firing. We'll see what happens um, next Monday, as the game has been moved to Monday at four o'clock, uh, another strange happening. Are you going to make it home from, are we going to be home from, you know, work in time for that? I don't know. As we look around the AFC, things are evening out a little bit. How do you see this playing out? Uh, the bills, obviously the chiefs and bills, when they play, we're going to learn a lot more about both teams at that point. So the, the Titans, the Titans finally gave it a go after, you know, a, a lot of, a long time off. So, how do you see this AFC playing out? Are the Chiefs still the cream of the crop? Or is this one of those deals where, hey, you got the Steelers involved, you got the Bills, you got uh, the Ravens, and maybe the Patriots get back with Cam Newton, and the Raiders, maybe they're better than we thought, and on and on. Where do you see this going here? I mean, I still feel like the Chiefs are going to end up being the cream of the crop. Like you said, we have the Ravens, Ravens number. We beat them the last three times we've played them. You've got the Buffalo Bills. We're going to learn more about them. Uh, when the Chiefs play them and how they match up. And, uh, of course, you got the Raiders. I don't think they're going to sustain this and be there at the end. This was their Super Bowl against the Chiefs. They came out, they wanted it, and they got it. The Chiefs just kind of laid down for them. So we'll see where this goes from here. You've got the Steelers. I'm not sure they have enough power on offense to – really threaten a team their defense can create turnovers and 
and get in the backfield and uh, sacks. So the defense can keep him in games. I'm not sure the offense can really stay with uh, some of the higher power teams out there. But I am worried about this Chiefs team. It's not because of the loss. It's because of how they lost. It's because of that second half, 22 yards of total offense before garbage time. That is scary to think that this offense can even do that, that any offense in the NFL can do that. The Jets put up more than that. What happened with the Chiefs against the Raiders is mind-boggling. Sammy Watkins went out with a hamstring. McCall Hardman isn't developing at the pace that we want, and we selected him over DK Metcalf, who had a game-clinching catch uh, in the end zone for the Seahawks to beat the Vikings on Sunday night football. And just this offense, just we don't have all the weapons that people think we do. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has kind of gone a little silent after the first week against the Texans. Demarcus Robinson, a.k.a. Demarcus Poopinson, can never make a play when it's in a crucial moment, crucial time. He's dropping touchdowns. He catches a ball when it's a third and 17 for five yards, and he's just not around enough to make big plays in this passing game. We saw Nick Kaiser drop a huge pass on third down that uh, could have moved the chains and kept it going on a third and forever We've got Travis Kelsey, we've got Tyreek Hill, and I'm not sure that we have a lot outside of that. I agree with you there, and I wrote an article for our website on GASNsports.com this week bringing up the fact that perhaps drafting McCole Hardman over DK Metcalf was Brett Veach's biggest blunder so far as GM. And you know what? If that's the case, if it is his biggest blunder, we can live with it because McCole Hardman made the Pro Bowl last year. Uh, he had over 500 yards receiving. He's shown the ability to be a good straight-line runner and get behind defenses and make some plays. This year so far, he's just not getting on the field as much, and I'm not going to blame the coaches for that. There's obviously a reason. So, yeah, you can start looking at it. When Russell Wilson says DK Metcalf is the best in the world at what he does, if that's what we're going for, if, if DK Metcalf becomes the top receiver in the NFL over the next couple of years, then, yeah, we've already had a second-round disaster, and Breland speaks for out of Ole Miss – already cut from the team. So maybe Brett Beach has some sort of second round uh, kryptonite here. Uh, <laughs> but aside from that, of course, you can't criticize him too much. He's done a wonderful job building a championship roster. And, you know, if, if this is his biggest faux pas to date, you can live with it. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed our NFL segment coming up in just a little bit. We're going to be going into college football. We're going to be doing it with none other than the best in the business. Fox Sports, Tim Brando is coming up right after this. Well, there's nothing that goes better with football than beer, and we're excited to have Golden Road Brewing as one of our newest sponsors for the show. Founded in 2011, Golden Road is Los Angeles' largest craft brewery with brew pub locations across California. Golden Road is excited to celebrate the Kansas City Chiefs with its partnership beer, Kingdom Blonde Ale. Kingdom Blonde is available at local retailers and in the Chiefs Stadium during regular seasons. Golden Road's year-round offerings include Mango Cart Wheat Ale, Wolf Pup IPA, and Fruit Cart Hard Seltzer. Golden Road Brewers are constantly experimenting with the freshest ingredients to keep fans' taste buds happy with a collection of rotating seasonals, creative flavors, and classic craft brews. Pick up a case of Golden Road beer at your local store to enjoy before the next game. Visit goldenroad.la slash beerfinder to buy Golden Road beer now. Tim, we, we interrupted some grandpa duty there, man. How about that? <laughs> I'm all good now. Hey, it's great to hear from you, man. We haven't, uh, haven't been in close contact since we came down. And rumor has it from the country club down there, you haven't lost all, all the balls we brought to you yet either. So <laughs> I guess that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my Callaways are in great shape. And, and, uh, and you brought me some. You knew my brand, which was really nice of you. I appreciate that. Hey, we, we love it. We appreciated the time we got to spend with you. But now here we are. We're in the middle of college football season. It's happening. And uh, I got to start here with uh, the game you just called, uh, TCU and Kansas State. You were just in uh, Fort Worth. Man, talk to us about Kansas State. Uh, they lose their quarterback, Skylar Thompson, for the year. The Big 12, aside from Oklahoma State, doesn't really appear to have a, a playoff potential team right now. But Kansas State looks as about as sure as they come under Chris, uh, Chris Kleiman right now. I don't, honestly, I, I don't think any team that's lost a game. Uh, and I know Kansas State lost one, and they lost to a, a group of five team in Arkansas State, but they had a lot of players with COVID that week. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, Clint, I, I think they're capable of running the table. You know, I look at a lot of these teams that have one loss right now. Look at Oklahoma's schedule, by the way, and I know they've dropped two, but 
if you look at their schedule, don't you think there's a chance they could win every game they've got left? I yeah, mean, Iowa State it's too. One of those, yeah. It's one of those years. Iowa State falls in the same category. I, the Iowa State-Oklahoma State game, which is on the 24th, I, I'm still waiting to find out if that's going to be my game. It could be. I, I might be in the Big Ten, or I might be at that game. I just don't know uh, right now. Uh, may find out later today or <laughs> certainly by tomorrow. Uh, we have no Big 12 games next week, with the exception of Kansas and West Virginia, the only other one uh, I know Sean McDonough was about to do, and then they called that off because of COVID concerns at um, Baylor, I think. So, yeah. you know, you've only got one game in the league next week, uh, and uh, and Gus and Joel are going to do that one. So, But on the 24th, our backloaded schedule during the COVID era on Fox begins in earnest. We'll have a ton of Big Ten games and Big 12 games. And then, of course, uh, in early November, the Pac-12 and the Mountain West get started. So, you know, I, I, I'm trying to enjoy these uh, games I can drive to in the Big 12 from the Chateau <laughs> uh, with, the understanding, with the understanding that uh, pretty soon when we get into the dead of winter, I'll be working all the way through Christmas week, you know, doing uh, college football with everything moved back. But look, all of these teams, um, Kansas State, uh, Iowa State, um, Oklahoma State, are, are teams that, that could potentially uh, win every game they've got left or drop half of them. I mean, it, it's just an incredibly balanced year. And as I um, mentioned in this week's On Brando that I know you guys like to take a look at. Sure. Um, you can find out late on Friday. These coaches just don't know. We, we're doing Zooms with these coaches, usually the away team on Wednesday or Thursday, the home team late in the day on Friday. Uh, you know, with the rapid testing that these guys are getting, and it's three times a week, uh, they may think they have a, you know, everyone ready to go with their with their game plan, and then on Friday night they find out, you know, three or four guys can't suit up, and that's for everybody in college football this year. So it's so much more of a mixed bag, is my point. And yeah. as it relates to that, some of these teams that you think really have it together can suddenly lose it just like that, and vice versa. Okay. So uh, we're going to see, I think, even more shocking upsets uh, than, than what we've seen. And, and I, would, I would submit to you that last week there were plenty uh, and should have been more. I mean, Arkansas got hosed. That, yeah. that should have been an yep. upset. So there, there, there's so much more out there that can happen uh, that will astound people because of the nature of the COVID era that we're trying to play in. Absolutely. And Tim, I know a big topic, we talked about it all off season, was Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin coming to the SEC, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Mike Leach, we thought it was a shock in the nation that they beat LSU. Were the SEC going to be able to figure out this Mississippi State offense and uh, the Matt Professor and Mike Leach? And then they dropped the next two games and only score 16 points in those two games. Lane Kiffin gave Alabama all they wanted. They fell short, leaving Saban to say he must have known the calls. They cheated. There's something going on here. <laughs> so just what are the early returns here on Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin in the SEC? Well, who would have thought when we last spoke, when you guys came to see me in the middle of the summer, that with both of those guys hired, that each of them would, would be – really looking up to the Q rating of the head coach at Jackson state. Think <laughs> about that. I mean, I mean uh, I'm sorry. Dion's got more Twitter followers than the lane train and the mad scientists <laughs> put together, you know, Absolutely. it's bizarre. It's just wild. What's going on in, um, in Mississippi. But I, I think that Kiffin, uh, I mean, has to have been sent to, I mean, he sent a message big time about his abilities and with the offense that he's got, even with the loss to Alabama. And, you know, I looked it up. This is how bad Ole Miss's defense uh, was. Okay, just think about this. Just like in a, in, a, in a baseball game, a pitcher gets the maximum or the minimum of 27 if he pitches a perfect game. If he pitches a no-no and, and, a, and a perfect game, that means he, he faced the minimum. All right, well, in college football – you think about what would be the maximum number of, of yards that you could gain 
in a single game to say that you played almost a perfect game offensively. Going back to where Alabama received the ball, either on kickoffs, I don't think there were any. If there was a punt, there might have been one. If you go back and look at it, uh, Alabama did turn it over once at the one-yard line. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there was a couple of other occasions where they they gave the ball up. But anyway, they – the, of the total yards they could have gained based on where they got the ball, okay, Alabama left 41 yards <laughs> that they could have gained that they didn't in the game. They gained every other yard that they could possibly gain from the time <laughs> they had the ball, but 41 yards. Wow. Now, that's being we say that, and they could have lost the game. Yeah. I mean – you know, an onside's kick, and if Ole Miss gets it, the lane train's going in with a chance to win the game. <laughs> so that's how bad Alabama's defense to go was to go, but they weren't anywhere nearly as bad as Ole Miss's, okay, defense. So, I mean, it's just that's, that's an amazing stat to me. But um, the, the reality is Ole Miss will be able to recruit uh, and recruit to this offense big time. And defensively, if you're a junior college kid going to any one of those incredible number of junior colleges that they have in Mississippi, and every town's got one, trust me, uh, you know you're going to start on defense if you go to Ole Miss, you know, <laughs> yeah. immediately. So they're going to get well pretty soon, I think, and be very competitive with the offense being what it is. Uh, Leach is, you know, as he was at Washington State to some extent at Texas Tech, a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Barry Odom came over from Missouri and, and, and did about what Bo Pelini should have done and didn't do. Uh, he probably looked at um, the, the tape of the Washington, Washington state series uh, and understood, you know, what Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator did to stop the, the air raid. And, uh, and they did, they absolutely stopped it and, uh, and turned it around and, uh, you know, to go along with what Arkansas was able to pull off and uh, and then follow that up with with Arkansas's defense that Barry signed, followed by, you know, an, an excellent uh, defensive head coach and Mark Stoops. Uh, I'm not surprised that this happened. But trust me when I tell you, there will be teams that Mississippi State, you know, hangs 50 or more on still on their schedule. So they're going to win their fair share of games. It's good for the SEC that they've got them. But what you're seeing in the SEC as a result of the influx of guys like Leach and Kiffin are teams that historically we thought of defense first, LSU and especially Alabama, but you know, LSU, you know, that, that secondary from Missouri and Drinkwich, by the way, unbelievable job what that guy did at Missouri for him to have yeah. made that team as competitive as he has. Al deserves a lot of credit. All right. But that LSU secondary Looked like what Hank Stram called in Super Bowl three when he was uh, Super Bowl four when he was mic'd up. You know, hey, look, yep. it's, look at Kasulki out there. It's like well, he's running around uh, grabbing air. Look, they look like a Chinese fire drill out there. I mean, <laughs> that's what that's what LSU second. They couldn't get lined up. They didn't know where to go. Um, so LSU's defense that was once uh, highly thought of, very highly thought of, is now you know a skeleton of its former self. Alabama's, I mean, was there any better defense uh, in the modern era of college football than Alabama's? And look how bad they look. I mean, other than Georgia, who in the SEC can say, yeah, man, our defense is stout. I mean, nobody. So you can, and I think a lot of people in the Big 12, especially some coaches, are laughing about this because there were a lot of arrogant SEC pundits and a lot of arrogant SEC fans that we're saying they play no defense in the Big 12. Well, now you got a few of our coaches. What are you going to do about that, SEC? I mean, that's what's <laughs> happening. You know what I mean? Leach comes yeah. into the league. Kiffin, who who really Saban should have – this notion that he, you know, signals uh, – that's just Nick being Nick. He never wants to give credit mm-hmm. to the opposition because he deems that as weakness and an excuse for his players to have. And he never he, – he manipulates the media – Okay, for his players' sake. So if he doesn't say the the opponents were were if he doesn't say they were they were cheating, in his mind 
he can't go after his players. He wants to be able to go after his players and motivate them. So if he lays it all at the foot of them, the blame at the, at the, at their feet and doesn't give credit to the opposition, then he feels like he's got a mental edge. I mean, that's what that's all about. And Kiffin knows that. And that's why he called him out the way he did today. I thought it was pretty funny. I really did. (laughs) Well, Tim, one thing I'm noticing across the country when I see these games is such a disparity in attendance. I look at Texas A&M and it looked like Woodstock 1969. And I look at Missouri LSU and it looked like, uh, you know, it's 10 feet between the next human being. In the stadiums you've been in and what you've seen, there's just so much disparity around there. What what, what have you seen in these crowds uh, when, you, when you've, you know, been on the road or watched these games? It just seems like a huge disparity, which probably speaks to local municipalities <laughs> and local government. I mean, I guess that's kind of what dictates yeah, this. Yeah. Dan Mullen wants 90000 yeah. for the LSU game on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, college Station seats over 100000 so they've got uh, 25% capacity. And look, the 12th man is the 12th man, whether they're 70,000 short or not, but they, they make noise there. That's a vociferous group. Uh, the same would be true uh, at the Texas OU game in Dallas. Now, they definitely had to adhere at the Cotton Bowl to uh, the health standards in that, in that county. There's no doubt about that. But what was really funny was watching how those people in the lower deck that were spaced out as the game went into overtime started shifting from one to the other <laughs> yeah. field to make noise. I mean, I mean, this is a rivalry game. Human beings are going to do what human beings at football games do, and that is follow their team and yell and scream at the opposing team. I mean, this isn't just a this is this isn't just a game. This is a religion. We've got to we got to get down there. Um, so you're going to hear more from them. Uh, I had the Texas, Texas tech wild one in Lubbock yeah. that went to overtime that somehow Sam Ellinger was able to pull off and you know how much Texas tech hates Texas. I mean, that crowd was into it. Um, pretty amazing that, that the red Raiders found a way to lose that game, but, but they did, uh, at Kansas on the very day that Kansas state was losing to Arkansas state with. I want to say about 20,000 people at Snyder Family Stadium. Uh, the University of Can- Kansas University decided not to have anybody at the game. Yeah, Coastal and Carolina we're, game. We're walk- That's right. Yeah, we're, we're walking down for the, for the Coastal Carolina game, Spencer and I, and I'm thinking, why don't they allow these kids to come to the game? I mean, even when there wasn't an international pandemic, there was social distancing at Memorial Stadium in Lawrence. Sure. <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, and we're walking down from the Oread, which is sits on top of a hill, uh, going straight down. That's the hotel on the campus at, at KU. And we're passing by fraternity houses and sorority houses that are packed full of kids. You could smell the Patron down where we were walking. Okay. Um, so they should have allowed those kids to go to the game. I, I guarantee you they would have been safer, uh, at the game than they were, you know, uh, in their tank tops and in the in the sorority houses, uh, it just you're right. There is a a difference depending on the game, uh, the passion or lack thereof for football at said university. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but here's what's the bo- the bottom line to me, guys. And I know we've lost some games, and a lot of them have been in the Big Twelve. But they tried to start sooner than everybody else. You know, they started on September the fifth. They built in these um, potential hiccups and rescheduling of games. But you know what's happening, guys? We're playing football, aren't we? We're now in week six. And for all those people that said, oh, there's just absolutely no way. Can't happen. It won't happen. (laughs) Well, guess what? It did happen. And, And you can say, well, they're only doing it for the money, and you'd be right. But they're also doing it, I think, because they gotta live. You know, you gotta, you gotta get through this thing and you gotta find some happiness. And I think college football has provided quite a bit of happiness, uh, these last six weeks, not just to the people playing the game, but to the, the, the young people that are trying to enjoy their college life that maybe can't go to class, uh, but do, you know, work in their apartments and in their dormitories, if they can be in dormitories, uh, on zoom classes, but at least they've got you know, something to go to, even if it's on a lottery basis 
And even if they aren't, they, they can say, well, I'm, I'm outside the stadium and I'm able to watch my team play. And that just brings a little level of normalcy to the world. And, and God knows we need it right now. No question. In my, I love it when people are hammering me on Twitter because at least they're hammering, at, at least they're hammering me about a game. Okay. As yeah. opposed to the, 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 the crap that we have to be, uh, uh, you know, put in front of as it relates to our, our country every day. So uh, to those that said it would never happen, couldn't happen. And I was telling you that it would, it wasn't because I didn't care for human life. It was because I thought uh, college football couldn't afford not to play and that we would be better off were we to play. And I think both are true. Yeah, it's very well said, Tim. And I got to ask you about a game coming up this weekend. Uh, we assume at least you can't, there's no guarantees in this world today, but Alabama versus Georgia, two versus three this weekend. I'm not sure we know what we truly have in either team yet, but we should learn where they both really stand after this game. What are your thoughts going to be and look, what are you looking for in this matchup? Alabama's defense will look a lot better because Georgia's offense is not nearly as dynamic as Ole Miss's. Uh, Bennett has proven himself to be a really good manager uh, of of his team, which might actually be, uh, for this Georgia team, what they need, given the fact that their defense is so dominant. Georgia's defense is better than Alabama's. It's not often we ever say that, but, but it is. However, I think Alabama coming off this performance, and by the way, that's what a lot of this uh, back and forth with Saban and, and – um, and Kiffin, that's what a lot of this is about. Uh, Nick and his de- defensive coordinator are taking a lot of heat. And you can imagine what practices are going to be like before this game being played in Tuscaloosa. Um, I do think that Georgia is the better team right now. Uh, and I don't think that it's going to be the one and only time they play. I think there's a very good chance that they'll play again for the SEC championship. So, you know, if you happen to lose the game, it doesn't mean it's over. Florida certainly helped Georgia by losing the game to A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because, as we said about COVID era, the COVID era we're in, uh, I think that Alabama could lose twice. I mean, I really do. Even, even if they were to beat Georgia, I still think the chance is there uh, for Alabama. If any one of these teams loses two or three critical guys on either side of the ball, I mean – it, it makes a world of difference. Um, I'm not ready to tell you who will win this week, but I am ready to tell you that both Georgia and Alabama, regardless of who wins, will lose eventually. And, uh, in fact, I'll just tell you this. I think that the champion of the Southeastern Conference and the champion of the Big 12 Conference, the champion of um, the Big 10 Conference, those three, Okay, not all five, but those three are going to have champions with two losses. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah. so, so Georgia and Alabama, something's got to give. That'll give one of them a loss. But I just don't think, by example, I think Florida matches up better against Georgia than Alabama does. All right? I would give, I would give, I would give Florida a better chance to beat Georgia than Alabama a chance to beat Georgia, okay? And Florida's already dropped the game to A&M. And by the way, what's going to happen with A&M, you're, you're saying? Well, they, they could be capturing lightning in a bottle right now. Yeah, I know they got boat raced in Tuscaloosa, and that's happened many times before to them. But well, Kellen Mond might be a different guy. That might have been exactly the game he needed to begin to take off. And I, and, I, and I don't believe that LSU's problems on defense are going to remain this bad for, this, for the entire season, you know. Uh, speaking of critical games, what if Florida were to drop a game to LSU after losing the way they did last week? Talk about the wheels coming off. And they could. <laughs> that could happen. So it, it's, it's crazy go-nuts time in the SEC. It really is. Well, it it sure is, and I think that's what's kind of made it fun. And you know, circling back, we you mentioned briefly uh, Missouri's win over LSU, and we got to bring that up. You know, here here in Missouri, yeah. as we are, um, Bo Pelini's defense obviously a struggle. There's no question about that. Uh, he comes in here, and LSU's missing missing players all over the field. They they lost 17 starters from last year's team. We know we know what happened to LSU, but. 
for Missouri and for the four new coaches in the SEC through three weeks, they all have a signature win. They're selling hope to their fan base. That's really important, isn't it? Especially in a place like Missouri that's had to start over and really it started at the bottom of the barrel. This was a big one for Missouri, wasn't it? Oh, my God. I mean, if I were voting for – I mean, it's way too early, but if we were voting for SEC Coach of the Year, uh, I think we're going I think we're going Arkansas and Missouri, aren't we? Right we now. might. <laughs> we, Lane Kiffin, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, I mean, right now, I, I'm, I'm, I, I thought Arkansas was. I mean, I looked at the schedule when it came out for them, and I was like, I mean, that's zero and ten. I mean, I, yeah. just, I that's mm-hmm. what I thought. I mean, I, I literally thought that. And, and Missouri, not much better, actually. Uh, Ole Miss, because of Lane and because of the players he got, particularly Corral, a combination of Corral. And Plumley, I thought, you know, he's going to win a few games here. Now, I, I didn't expect it to necessarily be uh, at, at Kentucky. But, uh, you know, they're going to win some games. They, they, they can outscore people. You know, they, they'll, they'll get a few more. They, they absolutely will get a few more. Um, but but I, I think it's great for the league that uh, these new coaches are doing well. Uh, because I don't think even with the problems the conference is having, having with its defenses being – torched the way they are. I don't think it's a sign that suddenly they forgot how to play defense or that they, you know, these recruits aren't what, what they were uh, ballyhooed to be. I just think it's the bottom line of, of the, the college football world being flatter than people think. And regardless of what the image or stereotype of a team might be during the COVID era, we're talking about balancing things out. Okay. When you lose five or six guys a week uh, based on, COVID concerns, and if they happen to be at the wrong spot on your depth chart, you can really pay a, a, a dear price for that. That's a lot of it, too. So, um, you know, I, I'm trying to tell fans to, to understand that these are not typical conditions and that, um, you know, I used to pick games. I called it my, my Saturday six-pack. Yeah. I'm not doing it this year. I'm not doing it. There's no way. I don't Anybody that wants to bet on games during the COVID era, oh my God, you need to be <laughs> fitted for a, you needed to be fitted for a straitjacket and a rubber cell because um, I mean look what happened uh, with with Kansas State at Oklahoma they were down seven guys five of them on defense and they 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 beat Oklahoma hello I mean yeah. come on <laughs> that's nuts but oh. but um, that's the world that we're living in right now and. Uh, I, don't, I think it's very unpredictable. I, 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 did, I do on a couple of shows when I really have conviction, uh, you know, make a pick. And I, I did last week in Jacksonville, Florida. I know I angered a lot of Florida fans, but I, I, I liked A&M in that game against Florida. And the reason I did is because it's, it's about desperation. You know, they had been beaten badly by Alabama. Jimbo had been taking a lot of heat. And he, he's not had really a signature win since taking over. And this is a Florida team that has been told all week long, you know, they're the best team in the conference. They're really better than Georgia. Georgia's offense is awful. And what are they, you know, and and yeah, their offense was still good, scored a lot of points, got a lot of yards, but their defense was vulnerable and, and they were torched big, you know, dynamic, explosive playmaking can beat that defense. And, um, you know, so, the, the 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 defensive coordinators, whether it's Grantham at Florida or Pelini at LSU, these guys are becoming big time scapegoats for coaches who know if they don't get it fixed quick, uh, they're going to be the ones in the frying pan, as opposed to their defensive coordinators being thrown under the proverbial bus. Yeah, everybody wanted to talk COVID era. You know, we're going to put an asterisk by this. We're going to let these coaches coach. It didn't take long to start seeing uh, no. the same old stuff come raining down. And uh, that's kind of a <laughs> that's that's a good thing, though. Like you said, hey, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about games and we're putting this stuff under a microscope. And that's a lot better than the alternative. Tim, am, am I to understand you don't have a game this week? Is that the case? No right. game this week for you? Right. Yep. So right. we'll see you yeah, back October 24th. October the twenty fourth, yes. and uh, as we speak, I will I will speculate for you that I think and I think I've got a good handle on it. Uh, if I'm in the Big Twelve, it'll be the second game on Fox. 
which is uh, Ohio State and Nebraska in the big noon window that weekend. And the second game is uh, Iowa State at Oklahoma State. I mean, that's a very big game yes. uh, in the yeah. Big 12. Uh, and uh, I'm still, you know, listen, I was, I was getting absolutely torched after week one. You know, I had Iowa State in my top 10, my preseason top 10. I think I had them number six in the country, I think. Uh, and people are like, what? Are you out of your mind? They lose at home to Louisiana Lafayette. And look at what they've done since, you know, and uh, I, I like them. I think Matt Campbell's defense gun to my head right now. And I know you don't have one there, but gun to my head right now. <laughs> Never. The team I believe the team I believe uh, is the best team in the league uh, right now is Iowa State. Uh, I think they offensively and defensively have a great combination uh, as they get their running game going. And Reese is really coming around in that position to go along with Purdy and his receivers. Uh, Purdy had his one bad game, got it out of the way early. And, um, you know, I think that they're in good shape right now. Uh, Oklahoma state, as they, as they get their, uh, you know, quarterback healthy to go along with the, the great backs, you can make a case that LD Brown is running it better than Chuba Hubbard right now. Yes. Uh, and the, and the defense is really just playing lights out. So that, that's going to be a fun game. And if we don't do that game, and they send us out to the Big Ten, then there's a, uh, I think there's a 2.30 game, or it would probably be a game that would be on opposite the Fox game in the Big 12, which is uh, Penn State at a uh, much improved Indiana. That's the, uh, that's the second Big Ten game that the Fox family of networks will, will have that weekend. So uh, I think we've either going to, Spencer and I will either have the Iowa State, Oklahoma State game, or the, um, Penn State, Indiana game. Well, no matter what, Tim, we'll be watching. We love everything you do. We can't thank you enough for hopping on with us. We love doing this with you. Thanks so much, and uh, take care. Have a enjoy your week off. Get, get some games in. What play some golf. Watch some games, and we'll uh, see oh, you. You know there'll be. You more. know there'll be. You know there'll be some <laughs> golf play. <laughs> well, that's just what I hear. I know what it's like down there. I've seen the course now. That's our next goal. We're going to come down and play around with you, and then we'll really well, see that's, that's what we're given. made of. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's an absolute <laughs> given. No, no problem. And the 19th hole will be on me, too. Hey, I love it. <laughs> Tim, thanks so much, man. Take her easy, and we'll, uh, we'll be looking for you on the 24th. Thanks, man. Okay, fellas. Bye-bye. Thank you. We got to pull Tim away from Grandpa Duty for just a little bit to talk some college football, and there's nobody that I'd rather, rather talk college football with because he is the best in the business. He's had a couple of weeks off this year because the Big Ten hasn't been playing yet, but we've seen him do some Big 12 games. We saw him do K-State, TCU. And we've got his thoughts on kind of what's going on so far, and I agree with Tim. The fact that we're playing, the fact that we're talking about games, it just feels good. He said we'd be playing from the get-go. Maybe he took a little shot at you, Noah. The You said college football can't do this, and Tim said, yes, they can. And maybe he was recalling some of our conversations earlier in the in the summer and uh, put one over on you. You think that's what happened? Maybe we really do need to play him in golf now and get this a rivalry going. Yeah, I think we do. I think we might have a small rivalry going. I wish he would have called me out by name. He didn't. <laughs> he, he played it cool there, kept the cards close to his vest. But yeah, I think he was calling me out because I didn't think it could happen. I thought these college kids, there's going to be way too many positive tests. They're going to be out going to frat parties and clubs and bars, and they're just not going to take this thing seriously. But it seems like at least the football programs have, and the coaches and uh, the higher ups have drilled into these kids how important this is, how serious this is, how they want to, they need to get this football season underway. And we have seen some positive tests, but not as many as I thought. We've been able to control it. We've had a few postponements, but not nearly as many as I thought. So Tim was right. I was wrong. I'll, I'll take my lump of coal in my medicine here. Hey, no problem there, and we're just glad it's happening. And the Big Ten will join us next week, and we'll see what game Tim Brando has. He talked about maybe doing Penn State, Indiana, or Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Either way, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman, one of the best teams. I'll tell you this, and I'm just I I I never want to bring this up to Tim at least publicly. We text back and forth a lot, but like after watching last week, um, I guess it was Gus Johnson that did the Red River rivalry, Texas Oklahoma. I am becoming less and less of a Gus Johnson guy in football. There's something about his style that does not equate to football as much. It's a little too abrupt. It's a little too intense. Moment to moment, it works in basketball. Man, in football, I'm just not the biggest Gus Johnson guy. Is that weird? I'm not. I do love Joel Klatt, his partner. But uh, as far as Gus Johnson, in basketball, he's great. It's up and down action. He can have that just 
loud voice and excited voice from moment to moment at any given time. But in football, like just from play to play, from three-yard run to three-yard run, it's just not good enough for me to be on the number one team calling a big college football game. It just it doesn't translate to me. I, I'm with you there 100%. Well, that's all well and good because we've got some big ones coming up. We previewed a little bit of Alabama and Georgia. You know, Tim likes Georgia. I, I got to be honest, I still like Alabama in this game, and I've seen it firsthand. We saw in the very first game – what Alabama has offensively, of course, we saw what they did. I mean, the stat that Tim gave about that Alabama only left 41 yards on the field is That's one of the insane. craziest things I've ever heard. I've never thought about an offense in those terms before. <laughs> no. But when you have their two receivers in Smith and Waddle, Matt Jones coming in there is absolutely just what the Crimson Tide needed coming off of uh, having a guy like Tua Tungavailoa. For a couple years, I think this is perfect. He's a business-like guy. More than a game manager, he's able to push the ball downfield and use those weapons. I think we're too, a little too uncertain about Georgia yet. We saw the first half struggle against Arkansas in the first game. I think that's, that something like that is still very possible, especially against a team like Alabama that still has players all over the field. I like Alabama. That's your game of the year in the SEC, and I think you're going to see a rematch of this in the SEC championship. So this may be round one here, um, Georgia and Alabama. What say you? Yeah, I'm with you. I like Alabama. I don't think that Stetson Bennett uh, is ready to face this Alabama defense. I know they gave up a ton against Lane Kiffin. Lane was with Alabama as their offensive coordinator with Nick Saban. He knows that program inside and out, what Saban likes to do. He knows how to attack it. He's got a genius offensive mind. I don't think that Georgia is going to be able to keep pace with what Mac Jones, Najee Harris, the running back, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle are going to be able to produce against, yes, a great Georgia defense, but I don't think they're, that even that great Georgia defense is going to be able to keep up with these weapons. These are NFL guys out at the wideouts playing on Saturdays. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, I feel like are better uh, than Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs were. So I think Georgia's going to ha just have too much on their plate. Stetson Bennett's going to be just too overwhelmed. He's a real small quarterback out there. I think Alabama's going to be too big. They're going to be in his face. They're going to have their hands up. I don't think he's going to be able to find passing lanes very easily. I think it's going to be a tough day for Georgia. Well, we talked to Tim about the team we cover here on a daily basis in Missouri. The Eli Drinkwitz era has begun, and wow, what a win. Um, I know the game was supposed to be played in Baton Rouge. I know LSU's lost 17 starters off their team from a year ago, the defending national champions. They still have talent all over, all over the field. Terrence Marshall Jr. might be the best receiver in the country, and um, it's still LSU. You still have the, uh, the gold helmets and the gold pants. They're walking in your stadium, and Missouri had shown really no signs in the first two games that they were going to be able to stay with a team like this, especially with a receiving core decimated by COVID, a defensive line decimated by COVID as well, and uh, other injuries. So Missouri emerges victorious. I think that what's important about a COVID year with a team like Missouri and even Arkansas, uh, and, and I'd even throw Ole Miss and Mississippi State, all four new coaches, let's say, where we were not going to judge them too harshly. We were going to look at this and say, okay, COVID year, you're brand new coaches. You didn't have really the, uh, the, you know, the time and the wherewithal to be able to install your systems properly. You didn't have the workouts. You didn't have the in-person uh, time to get this done. But when you're able to get a win like this to sell your fan base hope, and believe me, if you could bottle up hope and sell it, it'd be worth its weight in gold. Eli Drinkwitz was able to do that finally for Missouri when, hey, Arkansas's had it. They, they, they knocked off a ranked team in Mississippi State who's proven to not be very good in the last two games. But hey, they were a ranked team. They had just beaten LSU. Arkansas got it. Ole Miss got it. You know why? Because they beat Kentucky in a big game in overtime. Mississippi State got it week one when they beat LSU and put up 600 yards. And now Eli Drinkwitz gets it. How big is this for that Missouri program as they tried to build something? I think that I see Missouri as a team that in a, in a couple of years could be maybe a Tennessee that's a ranked team that has a good offense, that they have a quarterback in Connor Bazelic who just threw 80, he completed 83% of his passes, threw for 400 yards against LSU. I think Missouri might be a team that in a couple years could be up there as as, as an 8-9, maybe even crazy enough 10-win team that starts challenging for things. What do you see out of this? Or is this more of an indictment of Bo Pelini and LSU and they've had too many opt-outs and they didn't care coming to Columbia when they should have been at home in Baton Rouge and there's a hurricane? I mean, what... What did you make of all this? 
I think it's both. I think it's a huge win for the Missouri program and Eli Drinkwitz in his first year and Connor Bazelak coming in against the LSU defense. Even if they're not good, you just have to go into that game almost worried. Like, okay, this is the defending national champions. They still have Derek Stingley Jr. out there. I know they haven't played well, but I mean, this is LSU coming in here. And you've got to go out there and almost through the game start gaining confidence. And then you saw just as the game went on, they're just like, wait a second, they're horrendous on defense. We can do this. We can make plays. Like, they're not the big, bad LSU national champions that we once knew and loved as late or early as last season. So, But this is an indictment on LSU, on Bo Pelini, and that is just horrendous defense. I don't know if it's just too complicated. It's too multiple. They have too many things going through their heads. He has just a vast amounts of just plays in that defensive playbook that uh, the kids just can't keep straight. And he might need to simplify it. Just go cover two, cover three, just base defenses, just so that the kids can get lined up and know where they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be covering. Because that was a huge problem against Missouri. It's been a huge problem all year long. For LSU, So it's an indictment on them. But th- like I said, this is huge for Mizzou because this is going to help recruiting. You tell kids, hey, we beat the defending national champions in LSU. These kids in high school aren't going to go back. And when they're being recruited in the future and right now, they're not going to go into the details and look at, oh, Bo Pelini and they're missing these guys. And, oh, they're, they're not good on defense. They're ranked here. They're not knowing they're they weren't in place. Uh, there was wide open guys. They're not going to look at all that. They're going to just know that Mizzou's coming to them and they have proof to show them we beat the defending national champions. They still have really good players all around and we beat them. It was in Columbia. The game got moved, but we did it. We beat LSU, a ranked team in our third game. We took down the defending national champions. Well, I'd like to think that we would learn more about Missouri this week as they were set to play host to Vanderbilt as an 18.5-point favorite. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that. The game has moved too many positive cases in the Vanderbilt program, so that game's moved to December 12th. So now Missouri will focus on uh, going to Florida, going to the Swamp in a couple weeks. And like Tim said, they could be reeling uh, just after a loss to Texas A&M. LSU's going to come in there desperate. There's that word again. Desperate teams do desperate things, and in college football, desperate coaches and desperate programs that are blue bloods win games. We'll see what LSU is able to do, and we'll learn a lot more after this week. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Hit that subscribe button on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, any way you choose to take in the show. We always appreciate uh, a follow, a subscription. If you want to leave a star rating, and and we always need that. It's always really huge for us. Go to our website, GASNsports.com. That's where you can get all our articles, all of our info, interviews, podcasts, videos. It's all available on the website, GASNsports.com. We will be back next week on another edition of The Elite.